Guess you heard they rumbled Jake and Rabbit yesterday, huh? More bad news, I guess. They're moving in on Power Beach. What? Since when? Since dawn. That's ours, man. That ain't Nazi territory. Well, that's real bright, man. Except you forget one important thing, man. The quake. The quake changed all that. Adolf plays by a whole new set of rules. Hardcore. Plays dirty. What's worse than a gang that doesn't play by the rules? This movie. We're still up all night, and this episode, we watched Surf Nazis Must Die. Hello, everybody, and welcome to USA Up All Night with me, Rhonda. Hi, I'm Gilbert Godfrey, the comedian in the cupboard for USA Up All Night. In this movie, you'll see two of your favorite stars. Now, if you drink enough beer, you'll start seeing more of your favorite stars. Stay with me on USA Up All Night. Welcome to Still Up All Night, the podcast that celebrates the awesomely bad films of USA's Up All Night series. I'm Travis Yates, joined by my trusty sidekick, Rob, Katie, and Rob. Long before Sharknado became a pulp culture phenomenon, we had a treasure trove of B-movie schlock derived from the 80s, and we're taking a look at one of the best of the worst today by request. It's 1987's Surf Nazis Must Die. Rob, how are you? And what do you think right off the bat of our film this this episode? I am well, and it is a snoozorama. It's the only way I can put it. I was bored out of my mind during this movie. Snoozorama. That's the technical term that we use here on the Still Up All Night podcast. Um, yeah, it, so first we got to say this one goes out to Kelly Luce who posted on our Facebook page uh, I watched all these movies and he singled out Surf Nazis Must Die so Kelly this episode is for you thanks for listening and we appreciate your support and Absolutely. Uh, I mean where do we begin with Surf Nazis Must Die <laughs> this is our first post-apocalyptic film since episode 5 when we covered Hell Comes to Frogtown and speaking of Hell Comes to Frogtown, I just have to say, I binged some Mandalorian over the holiday break, and in Season 2, Chapter 10, The Passenger, the, the frog lady that Mando must ferry from one planet to another, I'd put her costume design up against any of the toad people in Hell Comes to Frogtown. I mean, we said it in Episode 5. I'll say it again. The film's uh, mise-en-scene, it holds up. I heard that the head in particular. I, I agree with you 100% there. I'd have to go back and double check how it comes to Frogtown for, for hands and things like that. But yeah, you know, in terms of looking like a frog, their heads <laughs> line right up. Yeah. Okay. So back to surf Nazis must die. Um, the film is directed by Peter George and produced by a company called the Institute. So yeah. um, this was founded by George and film editor, Craig Colton and producer Robert Tunnell. Uh, principal photography actually began on the film in late 1985. Much of the production took place near Torrance, California at an abandoned naval facility that surf gangs had actually taken over, or so the lore goes. Um, so a bit of verisimilitude there with the location choice. And uh, Rob, let's add the Palos Verdes U.S. Naval Base to the still up all night on location walking tour, shall we? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Although there, I, I feel like you know, in mentioning again how it comes to Frogtown, the the you know post-apocalyptic aspect of, of this film is significantly weaker. There's, oh. there's very little to indicate that it is other than the you know the opening sort of you know narrative establishing that just in visually outside of obviously the surf gangs you know in in the scenery there there's not much indicating some significant event has happened that is has led us down this path it's almost embarrassing how much they ignore the fact that this is supposed to be post-apocalyptic at one point you know we're in the house of one of the surf knots now granted this is this is a comedy action film uh (laughs) but there was no comedy in it except for little moments i guess like this where we're you know we're met in the clean nice suburban home of one of the surf nazis and you know he's taking guff from his mom uh about (laughs) i think you know is that what richie johnson is doing nowadays you know so yeah it is it is really bad outside of the way they decorate this naval base uh, nothing is pokes apocalyptic about this film at all yeah it uh i was was disappointed in because i mean even as the the movie moves on and you get to the the climax it's it's the everything available to them doesn't indicate you know they've got a readily available boat there's people out fishing you know they go they go by the the um senior home that eleanor is in and you know it's it's not a bad place at all again there's there's just no indication of (laughs) some major event having taken place and at least even and i think it's we're we're led to believe it's sort of a localized thing yeah like some was that an earthquake a major earthquake Yes. That, I don't even remember. Yeah, so they referenced that, you know, law and order was so busy in the city that there was just no police out in the in the beach areas, and that's what led to the <laughs> gangs taking over. Gangs taking uh, over. Yeah. So um, some of the surfing photography, Rob, actually took place in early 86 in Hawaii. So I don't know if <laughs> the producers decided to take all of their budget and just fly to Hawaii. I mean, you are based in los angeles california why would you not just shoot your surfing material there why are you going see i assumed it was all like stock footage or that like someone involved in production was a competitive surfer Mm -hmm. and just had all this footage on hand because i mean it's montage after month like uh, half the movie felt like it was surf videos being right. played well we'll get, we'll get to both montages and the surfing videos but apparently <laughs> uh from the research that i uncovered and there wasn't a whole lot on this film but uh, word is that they went to hawaii to shoot some of this so you know <sighs> from the outside looking in you know this film is off to a good start a year-long production you know shooting locations that show gritty realism with a you know abandoned naval base legitimate surfing photography but that's obviously not the case as you were describing (laughs) um so in march of 87 troma entertainment acquired the global distribution rights to surf nazis must die so we unofficially have our first troma film rob we've been talking about it for a while but you know I don't know if this is not, you can't call this a true Troma, trauma film. It, it wasn't produced by Troma. Um, yeah, there's, there's, well, I mean, two of sort of the hallmarks for, for Troma is like just over the top explosive gore, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 
way more boobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, n- not enough of either in this film to match the, the, the trauma checkboxes that you need there. Um, they thought it matched their library enough, though, to produce the or to purchase the distribution rights. Tomo, uh, trauma president and low budget filmmaking prince Lloyd Kaufman later said all the modern movies of any merit have their roots in surf Nazis must die. <laughs> So he said that somewhat in jest, I assume, uh, but I think it also shows that Kaufman really believed in the merits of the film, at least as a low-budget film. And, uh, of course, I call Kaufman the prince of low-budget films because the king is Roger Corman. So, But Kaufman certainly deserves to be on the royal court there. For Absolutely, yeah. He's earned earned his own place. Absolutely. So, Surf Nazis Must Die debuted at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood on July 1st, 1987, and according to The Hollywood Reporter, it grossed just over $7,000 in its opening weekend. I don't know how much of that made up for the budget because I didn't see any budget numbers anywhere. Did you come across anything? Well, I was just about to say you did better than I did. I couldn't even find box office numbers at all. I, I did extensive variable searches both on budget and and gross and and couldn't find anything on either uh yeah i don't know how much it did total at the box office that opening weekend was the only thing that i that only number that i came across uh surf nazis must die made its usa up all night debut on february 21st 1992 it ran just three more times making its final appearance on october 23rd 1993 so not many appearances for the film rob but four times in an 18-month span in the series. That's a whole lot of surf Nazis must die in 18 months. <laughs> More than I could take. You know, and I think, I think that, too, goes to explain, you know, in our, in our conversation earlier today where I don't remember having, you know, there are little snippets of the movie I remember having seen, but I didn't think I'd seen it from start to finish. And, I mean, that would help to explain that, that, you know, over such a short amount of time or the only times it ran. Yeah, likewise, I might have uh, caught snippets here and there, but I also didn't have many memories of of this film. So, I mean, maybe we thought it was a snooze fest back in our early teen years as well uh, and just turned the channel, which is a rarity when you're watching USA Up All Night. So, um, well, we dialed up YouTube where this movie is available for free and in surprisingly good quality uh, to watch the film. And let's just let's talk about this film. (laughs) Um, The cold open introduces us to a group of kids on a beach receiving both surf instruction and an indoctrination into Nazihood. Who rules the beach? Who rules the surfers? And the kids yell Nazis. And then the title sequence is a montage of stock disaster footage and close-ups of downtrodden buildings with a radio broadcast laying out some exposition for us. There was apparently a giant earthquake that devastated California, even though it looks fine to me. Uh, I do love the way this is framed with the, the news announcer's copy that reads, a side effect of the quake is a riot in gang activity and a, and a certain sick minority is using the suffering to further their own twisted purpose. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny, to, the way that the news reporter copy read. Um, the announcer continues telling listeners that police are stretched thin to keep law and order in the city, warning beach communities to stay indoors because they are susceptible to crime. So there we go. There's the, the exposition that we have uh, that kind of sets the stage for why it's dangerous on the beach, even though people kept going, old ladies kept going, <laughs> everyone kept going to the beach. 
uh, like like in and not even in beach attire, <laughs> right? In, in a couple of the scenes, so yeah, I, I, I did enjoy a, a couple of those moments. But yeah, and then we, I think, I think they established that eighty thousand people were were killed in the quake. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, and then we you know, obviously jump to to starting the introduction of our our Nazi characters. Yeah, uh, so. <laughs> We get a, another montage of the surf Nazis just hanging out, um, sitting around their base, shooting spear guns into crosses, returning from looting the surf shops inside the city. And then somebody yells, surf's up, and they all grab their surf gear and head to the beach to surf. Um, <laughs> so the thing that bothered me the most about this opening sequence was there had to be like a requirement that a swastika appeared in every scene. Um, I mean, I get that Nazis are big on pageantry and symbolism, but I mean, Rob, there is swastikas on everything. Vans, hats, mirrors, buildings, every, uh, a bit later we see one of them. Remember those little square red thermoses that we used to drink out of? They'd go fit in our lunch boxes as kids. Uh, at one point, uh, one of the surf Nazis are drinking out of it and it's got a swastika on it. And it's like, oh, I mean, at the end of the day, when you have to show the audience you're dealing with Nazis. Yeah. I I mean, how do you do it? It's so much (laughs) overkill, though. Uh, We get it. The kids have turned into Nazis. You've already made that abundantly clear. They're wearing it all over their faces and their uh, um, their attire. So, you know, we don't need the signage in every scene, but we're going to get it pretty much. Um, Well, and I love, too, that they they couldn't even like fully populate the, this small gang with Nazi names. They couldn't find enough relevant Nazi figures to, to get, what was it six members of the mm-hmm. gang to get six names. They only got 50%. So, right. I mean, you know, your, your film historian there or your, your actual historian for the film is, is failing on multiple ends. And it's funny because I stopped after the three that I knew, just assuming that the rest were not. Uh, which we'll get to the names here of all of our gang members in a minute. But um, we get to a fireside meeting later that evening with the surf Nazis where the leader of the surf Nazis named Adolf, of course, uh, declares declares himself the new Fuhrer of the beach. And they discuss their plan to take over. Um, take over what? I'm not sure. It's not real clear. It's I'm a bit confused at this point, Rob. There's only like six surf Nazis that I could count. Um well, other than the, the little gang of kids, which I, I don't think you ever really see again in the movie that they're indoctrinating. But right. yeah, it's like I counted in a sort of formal gang, the six. And then it's, it is going to be made clear, though, a little bit in the next scene because we get another montage. As you mentioned, <laughs> this all montage all the time. Uh, it's all the gangs from the city that are coming together for this meeting with the surf Nazis. Okay, so... Here is the lay of the land, Rob. All of uh, L.A.'s coast, assuming L.A., they never really reference, right, that it's actually L.A., but you just assume. Uh, All of the coast has been taken over by these groups. So we've got our surf Nazis. So Adolf Mm -hmm. is the leader, and then it's Ava and Mengele, and then Hook and Brutus and Smeg. So (laughs) Hook and and Smeg is more of a – he seemed like more of a a (laughs) recruit – then yes. full-blown, he, he lived at home with his mom. This was the one that went home to his mom and eventually uh, en- ended up saving his life later in the film when his mom caught him trying to sneak out. So, <laughs> so you've got the surf Nazis, all six of them. You have the pipeliners, Ariel, 
mechs, and teeth. And uh, they flip down from the ceiling off of poles. They, they hang out on what's called Power Beach. And they yep. have matching tank tops with neon green, like little power lines running across them. I don't know if you caught that. Oh, I didn't see it's that. It's so hilarious. The They had so much fun designing these gangs and naming them. You have the, the samurai surfers. You have Wang and Yin and Yang. Yeah. Uh, and I love the way these guys are introduced. Uh, they they have the camera in like a fixed location and the different, the three samurai surfers like run up and then stop in front of the camera and do a little show off with their weapons, a sword, a katan, nunchucks, complete with like swooshing noise as he's swinging the nunchucks around. It's hilarious. I mean, it's like a reality show tryout or something. I really got a kick out of their introduction. Um, You've got the designer waves. Uh, You know, uh, the names are curl, blow, and dry. Now, I stuck around through the... I didn't garner this through the movie. I stuck around for the credits. For the credits, yeah. yeah. That was the only way you could garner any of those guys' names, yeah. Uh, These guys are your classic California surfers. Blonde hair, neon shorts, real threatening stuff when when you look at gangs. And then finally, you have the skate rats. And this is just a bunch of younger kids on skateboards that really never come into play. They never... They they never threaten anybody. You never really. Although they're they're fronted by, a, by like a significantly older woman. Right. For some reason. Yeah. But that's never made clear. <laughs> um, so after the hilarious montage uh, that introduces all the gangs, um, the, uh, three members each save for the surf Nazis. Uh, so uh, Adolf proclaims that he should be the leader of all the gangs in the city because he knows the beaches and they're not getting enough out of sand. <laughs> and it's really awkward because he has this bag of sand and he cuts it and like just a little bit trickles out. He's just, you know, supposed to all fall out. I assume. Um, one of the designer wave gang members of and Brutus from the surf Nazis shoots a spear into his surfboard. And there you have it with no other objections from this Scooby-Doo looking collection of gang members, Adolf and the surf Nazis are in control. Well, I mean, that spear shot was so threatening that it just it quelled any yeah. other attempts. <laughs> Rob, what did you make of just this collection of non-menacing gang members here? Well, so so during the like individual introductions of each gang, I was very much, although it was very weak, I was getting like warriors vibes, and I'm sure yeah. you're you're familiar with that movie. Of course. And so I thought okay, this is where we're headed. We've got these different gangs. Something's going to happen, and then you know the movie's going to be basically a warrior's ripoff mm-hmm. just on the beach with these goofy gangs and something, some impetus for the plot, and they're going to have to just fight throughout the movie. And, and kind of somehow that presented <laughs> the, the Nazis as our heroes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was waiting for how that was going to happen, but my... My hopes were highest at that point for the movie, yeah. and then you know none of none of that happens really, and we go a totally different direction. But th- but that's where my mind was at the time. I, I had high hopes, but for a different reason because I also got that vibe. But I thought, okay, they're gonna go uh, full on parody here. I mean, like these mm. these gangs and their decor, their dress, and their you know they all had matching. It just it see it was so over the top and silly that these are the gangs <laughs> that have taken over the beach after so the quake. That's where the comedy would have come in, right? Would have, <laughs> yes. um, 
<laughs> but operative then they, word there. Yeah, but then they just proceeded to act like um, gang members and mm-hmm. uh, outside of their their dress and their names, which are never really used much or at no, all. No, I I I, I want to say that the 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 pipeline or no, I'm sorry, the power line guys. Their name was mentioned. The names, and I don't think anyone else was right. like the gang name was yeah. mentioned, and and I think the rats the yeah uh, was mentioned as well. But I don't think individual names were ever said, and I don't even think all the other um, you know gangs were named. Not until again, as you said, the credits. Right. Did you have a favorite surf Nazi? Uh, I, I enjoyed Hook's performance the most. Mm-hmm. I think. Although, though, I think Brutus was a close second. Okay. Um, you know, Mengele annoyed me. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and, and Adolf, oh. really, for being the lead, didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, he, uh, he yeah. was not threatening at all at any no, point. No, and no. if anything, he came off as like the creepy cult leader that was more got into your mind, I suppose, than physically yeah. attacking you. Um, I actually liked Mengele. He was my favorite. Um, he was played by Michael Sonia. And, um, first let me just say, I, it was a bit disturbing that so many characters were named after real Nazis. Um, I mean, maybe if you made them bumbling idiots, there might've been something more charming about that. You know, again, the full parody, but they didn't go that route. But I mean, Adolf and Ava and Mengele, um, who Joseph Mengele was known as the angel of death in the German army. I mean, it just doesn't work for me as far as using them in this film. But I did like Sonia's portrayal of his character. To me, he was like the only one with any depth that I was, you know, anyone I was interested in learning more about. And and I think it might be too that uh, Sonia reminds me of uh, Michael McKeon, who's perhaps best known as Lenny from Laverne and Shirley, but he's also you know, in tons of Spinal Tap. He loved him in Airheads. Well, um, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. See, I think for myself, I was initially more interested in, in Brutus because I was like, well, what angle are they taking here, you know, with, you know, bringing in a, you know, a Roman character, mm-hmm. you know, is, is he going to, you know, betray the gang or... Or what, you know, what is the tact here? So, yeah. so I thought he would be, um, and he kind of had shades of, of uh, I don't know, depth to his character. Okay. You know, I, I don't know if that, I think that's taking it way too far, but I don't know how else to phrase it. They did the best with what they, <laughs> with what <laughs> they had to work with. We'll give them Very that. Much so. Uh, you know, there's a subplot that we haven't even mentioned yet. You briefly mentioned the character. Um, you know, we're half hour into the film. It's really not even made clear that there's a connection. But in one of the opening sequences, a son is moving his mother, Eleanor Mama Washington, uh, into a retirement home, a very nice, <laughs> clean retirement home for the apocalyptic uh, yeah. nature. Mama's a feisty character. Uh, she demands that the nurse call her Miss Washington. She smokes cigars. She gambles when they're not supposed to. Gets the other residents to gamble. She chainsaws tree limbs that are blocking her view from her window. You know, these sorts of things. And we keep kind of going, cutting away to her at the home, getting settled in. But there's no connection at all. Uh, they're just completely unrelated scenes until finally... Um, Mama's son Leon is killed by the surf Nazis when trying to stop a beach robbery. 
so the sequences came too early in my opinion to kind of even to, I, I i felt as though um eleanor and leroy were were afterthoughts like i don't know how to appropriately explain it but I, sort of at, at the end of the day i felt like they were headed down the warrior's path with this movie and someone along the way said do you realize <laughs> the hero of your movie are the nazis we that's not going to sell you got to do something else and somebody went oh shit and they made up two characters on the spot and inserted them into the film that very well I, could be the case <laughs> well and fortunately for them mama washington was great she, oh, she man. made me chuckle the most and and certainly you know was was out of character for the rest of the film like she brought some of that comedic element that was utterly lacking elsewhere and just was you know enjoyable in in her <laughs> just she was with, awesome. with everything they were doing with her but yeah just to circle back i have a note here where i'm i write i'm 30 minutes into the movie <laughs> and there is no plot to speak of mm-hmm. at that point i had no idea what where we were headed, yeah. what was happening, what were <laughs> any sort of motivating premise here. Now, there's an opening scene, too, where um, there's a guy that pulls up to what appears to be a Chevron kind of drilling station on Power Beach, where the power yes. lines or power whatever guys hang out. Uh, was that Leon? Were they trying to, like, also... Or yes, or was that, that... that was his establishing sh- shot. And I, I don't think, I don't even think words are spoken yeah, or if they are, they were like, they were hilarious. Cause I have a note on here cause the words are hilarious. Let me find the quote here. Um, so Leon says to, there's like a little security guard standing outside the, this little gated uh, drill. And the, Leon says, what's this I hear about trouble down here? And the security guard replies, yes, sir. Nazis. Surf Nazis. <laughs> of course, you have and, to. <laughs> yeah, there's a pause and then surf Nazis. And he says it with just such seriousness. Um, but then we didn't see him at all until l- much later. So I wasn't sure it, at that point. Was that, and I didn't bother to rewind it to see if that was Leon or not. But uh, Because I thought maybe, yeah, they were going to attack there were so many different ways they could have gone with this film to actually make it work. I thought, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you agreed. You have something called power beach in what's supposed to be post-apocalyptic times. He who has the power has the power, right? Yeah. Uh, exactly. And so you take over power beach, you control the power going anywhere and everywhere. And so you'd think that they'd be fighting over that. And maybe they they kind of did at the end reveal like, oh, they're coming for Power Beach, but they never really do. And they never mentioned a plan to do it. Well, so. and the scenes we get where they're they're actually coming for anything is, is, as you already mentioned, like old ladies' purses. That's right. That's the like the crux of everything they're doing is just kind of, you know, petty crime. Yeah. Um, so, OK, we've got um, we've got Mama. And uh, we've got Leon's death. And then Mama Washington is left at a casket asking God what to do. And, yeah, I- I'm assuming and hoping at this point, given the amount of screen time that she'd been given 
and with no plot still at this point that the film was going to turn into a revenge film for mama, <laughs> uh, which it, it sounds like exactly what you were hoping as well. And we kind of get somewhat in, she's inserted into the narrative in, in certain points, but uh, yeah. the, like you mentioned, like th- this movie is just a mess editing wise. We, we jump from location to location. It lacks a montage to montage. Yeah, it lacks establishing shots. So you know, we oftentimes have no idea where we are uh, partway through the scene, and there's just no sense of place unless we're at the beach. That's the only time we know really physically where we're at. Um, you know, it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic, but everybody's just going about their business, um, and everything looks good. Um, we, you know, we talked about Smeg, the Surf Nazi pledge. Um, you know, with he, the, the super sweet, pleasant mom. Right. Uh, he, so Smeg is talking to two girls on the beach about how surf Nazis are awesome, and he's telling the story, bragging really about Leon's death. And that's when Mama Washington shows up and slams him into a wall and says, keep talking, white trash. And uh, <laughs> cue the music and some weird flash frames to a surfer. And uh, we've got a plot, Rob. We've got yeah. Mama Washington officially going after the surf she's Nazis. Coming for revenge. That's right. Um, so while the surf Nazis are surfing because they're surf Nazis and all, uh, somebody burns up their specialty boards that, uh, Mengele makes like, a he, 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 he modifies like sw- their boards. Switchboard. Yeah. And Slicer, I think was one. I think it was, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so that the boards get burned up while they're out in the water. And so the, na- the Nazis begin to wreak havoc even more attacking just any and everybody on anybody and everybody on the beach. And then this is where their plan is kind of revealed to take over Power Beach, even though they never really mention it. But it prompts all the other rival gangs, all with three members each, mind you, um, to join together to defeat the surf Nazis so they can't take over Power Beach. And And, and rather than all attack at once... Uh, (laughs) So, that's right. Uh, but first, they individually confront the Nazis. First, though, Rob, it's time for another montage. This time of all the gangs getting ready for battle, and uh, I, I love montage. that each one of the gangs have their own little unique location and method of preparation. Especially the designer waves, who are helping each other apply sunscreen to their face <laughs> and running product through their hair. And the, the samurai waves are just like doing generic karate moves at like yep. some Chinese hall of sort. Um, and then, yeah, we find out the gangs aren't all that smart because <laughs> they, um, they don't all come together to gang up on the Nazis at once. They take their turns. <laughs> and these fight scenes, Rob, they're Ooh, yeah. some of the worst I've seen in film history. I mean, I've seen, I have a nine-year-old son and, and the scenes in this movie look like when he and his friends play fight. Yes. that's the perfectly apt description it was so bad that there yeah i I might have lost for words for for anything else to say (laughs) i was just like that's what we've been building to like because i mean that's a major piece of um you know the warriors you know the movie that i i feel that this is is most emulating that you know those those are some great you know fistfight scenes Mm -hmm. and and with some unique twists, obviously, because of all the different gangs. And this just was so, so bad. Every now and again, somebody would land a good, make a good punch or a good kick. And you'd be like, okay, there's like one trained fighter there. And the rest are not. And there's just nothing to work with. <laughs> See, I felt it was more like 
the choreography came through for that one individual <laughs> strike and then it's just they're all so bad otherwise it just was a mess i think the choreography was okay go fight action <laughs> i mean that that had to be it because it is awful um all right so i think we've reached the climax but with a film like this you never know the surf nazis Absolutely. have survived the onslaught of the other gangs losing only brutus and in a sad way too because you as you had said thinking he might turn on them when really he's uh blinded uh when one of the acid, power yeah. liners throw acid in his in his face and so um adolf ends up shooting his spear into him put him out of his misery right he's of no use to them now right so it's almost like the other way e2 brute uh yeah, we're taking yeah. you out so uh so now they're just relaxing back at their base when mama shows up on a harley davidson <laughs> and lobbing grenades she's purchased a gun and grenades from a pawn shop she tosses the grenades into the base kills everyone except adolf and ava she rushes back to the retirement home because for some reason she brought the grenades but left her gun at home. She gets the gun just as Adolf and Ava show up, and in a Three Stooges-style chase, Adolf and Ava end up on the Harley, and Mama gets into the Nazi van, and the chase continues. To now, some, like, I don't even know what it was, like a, like empty construction site or something. So, w Rob, we're supposed to believe that the leaders of this Nazi gang, which run the California coast and defeated all the other rival gangs, they can't take out an old lady with a gun. Well, you, you said it earlier that the other members of the gang were the muscle and Adolf was more the cult leader, you know, non-threatening in every way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Ava, you know, didn't really do a whole lot either. It was really Hook who I think took out, yeah. and Mengele took out almost everybody. And and Brutus had his moments too. But uh, you know, and Smeg was essentially you know a non-entity after his mom stepped in. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, so uh, yeah, they're yeah. they're running. You got, you got grenades coming at you <laughs> as Adolf. You got to get the heck out of there. And this has turned into the longest, most boring chase in cinema history, I think. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's reminiscent of the Family Guy skit with Peter and the chicken who gave him a bad coupon. Um, with, with, with way less fighting. Right, yeah. I mean, remember, this started off with Adolf and Ava chasing Mama, and now it's Mama chasing them, and we're on our fourth location. So Mama uh, eventually... So they... Okay, so I love, first of all, how this movie... Uh, it, it posits surfing as a means of transportation. <laughs> uh, when one of the gangs are sneaking up on the Nazis, they surf to the location. And when Adolf and Ava are trying to get away from Mama, they surf away. And Mama has to get a boat to chase them. Even well, though the best, and the best part of it is they surf in like a harbor area. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, you know... It, she was right behind him. Just wait on the beach for them to come back, Mama. Don't go after him. But she she gets a boat, and um, and and finally, Mama and the boat catch up to the two of them. And um, we see about half the film's budget. I guess the other half was spent on Hawaii, and the other half was spent when the boat severs Ava's head from her body and it's left floating in the water. So we do have some trauma style uh, 
uh, gore here. That was pretty pretty good. Uh, complete oh, with yeah. like they even had uh, Ava had her face painted up in different ways throughout the film, and they even had her her severed head painted in the right way. So I was impressed with that. I, I was too. Though it was the one scene that, that surprised me, and then I went, "Hey, you know that was actually pretty good." Where was that during the rest of the film? Tendons and tendrils hanging off of her neck. It was it was pretty gory, pretty detailed. So Mama then shoots Adolf in the water, and you think it's over. And she stops to enjoy the fruits of her labor. She lights up a cigar, taking it all in. But wait. We get a jump scare. Adolf is still alive. He leaps out of the water onto the boat where Mama proceeds to put a gun in his mouth and yells, taste some of Mama's home cooking <laughs> before <laughs> blasting his brains into the water. There's also a disgustingly awesome spray that goes all over her. Uh, not a bad climax. I mean, the chase scene in climax lasted 11 minutes from, from grenade to the killing of Adolf. But, I mean, you do get some rewarding moments there with the severed head and then Mama's one-liner at the end. You do, and, and I think all things considered, when, when you know, she is presented as you know, this elderly woman, I mean, what can you, can you really expect for a climax? Like, she can't suddenly become you know, an action heroine. So. But she does. But, she shows well, up on a Harley yes, tossing yes. grenades. But, she, you know, and I was even shocked when she, she chased them on foot and, and did some running. I, mm. I, it was mm-hmm. the last thing I expected because she's not a, also not a small woman. No. So I, I was impressed by that. But I, I thought, you know, we are somewhat limited in what can happen at <laughs> yeah. the end of this film yeah. because of that. And then, Rob, the movie ends literally with Mama riding off into the sunset on the Harley Davidson. Yeah, cue credits. Cue credits. Wow. That's it. We got we've got a movie. Um, did did we though? <laughs> did we? <laughs> um, okay. Whew. Uh, after digesting all that, Rob, it's uh, it's time to see what other people are saying about Surf Nazis Must Die. Um, That's not good. So we have both a critics tomato meter and an audience score for the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, what do you think the tomato meter score? Um, the official scores from film critics. Uh, what do you think that score is from one to one hundred? I'm gonna go twenty-eight. So just like last at last episode's film, Spookies, a total of five critics gave Surf Nazis Must Die an aggregate rating of twenty percent. So back to back twenty percenters here. Um, Scott Weinberg of eCritic.com gave it one out of five tomatoes, writing intentional awfulness is still awful, lacks the charm of Troma's best films. Now, in Troma's defense, this was only a Troma release and not a Troma production. Well, I wonder if, if that, in fact, hurt the film, that it, it elevated expectations. Right. Even uh, though, as you said, it was only distributed by them, but still the name being associated. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, you see the, the Troma logo. So it, it's... They're all over this, even though it wasn't mm-hmm. officially their production. Um, Luke Thompson of the New Times gave it zero tomato, tomatoes. Maybe maybe tomatoes. Tomatoes. <laughs> They're yeah. so bad. Uh, he, he writes, great title, shame about the movie. <laughs> I like that. But, Rob, not all Rotten Tomatoes critics hated the film. Jenny, I don't believe it. Jenny Kermode of Eye for Film 
gave it three and a half tomatoes and writes, though it doesn't have nearly enough plot for its running time and it drags badly in places, this is a film with some inspired moments, seemingly the product of real lunacy rather than a calculated attempt to shock. It's kind of saying these guys are crazy at the Institute, uh, which I'm, I feel like that was like an early version of the Asylum. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it, it struck a chord there for Jenny Kermode, and she gave it three and a half tomatoes, which brought it up to 20. It might have been hovering around 5% without that. Well, and she even used the word inspired. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about a few of, the, of those moments as well, so she probably felt kind of like we did. Okay. Uh, audiences were a bit kinder than the critics. It's got 5,005 scores, giving it a 31% rating. Wow. So, you know, not uh, not as bad as we might have thought. Uh, Variety magazine described the film as a sort of clockwork orange meets Mad Max on the beach. And uh, in its review said, quote, Pick hasn't one redeeming quality. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, well, well, dang, to, to cite those two movies. Yeah. In comparison to this, and they could have reworded that a bit better, saying like attempts to, yeah, <laughs> capture, yeah, absolutely, uh, because yeah, that's a that's a little misleading. Noted film critic Roger Ebert said he walked out of the film in the first half hour, <laughs> but later noted that he did love the title. So hey, there's that. Uh, he didn't get he didn't stick around for enough Mama. I think he really would have got a kick out of Mama. Well, I mean, for them, for them needing to die, it takes way too long to get to, to the rationale as to why they need to die. Yeah, and so, you, you, so. you needed Mama to pick these guys off one at a time, instead of um, going to instead of the, the gang battle that kind of existed but only existed right at the very end. <laughs> well, that's why again I, I go back to I think that was sort of tacked on because it was it it felt like the whole time it was meant for this gang on gang mm. warfare to then you have to suddenly inject mama into this because your Nazis can't be your heroes. So <laughs> she's got to take them out quickly and in groups. And there was a moment in the film and it had to be right around that time where I thought that too. I thought, are they, how, how they're not going to make them sympathetic, are they? But it looks like they are. So <laughs> somebody must have, I think you're onto something there. Um, Okay, Rob, I have a feeling I know what we're both going to say here, but we have to do this anyway because it's a tradition here on Still Up All Night. It's time for us to weigh in on the movies and ask, answer the question, is Surf Nazis Must Die worth staying up all night for? I'm going to give this a ah, hell no. Ooh. Any- I was so bored. I was just bored out of my mind during this. And, and to, to slog through to get those few nuggets that I did enjoy and, and to see some of that finale, it just, it just wasn't worth it to me. Yeah. I caught myself looking at how much time was remaining on the, on the YouTube timeline there on the bottom quite a few times as well. I wanted to like this film, uh, but I just don't agree with Lloyd Kaufman when he says that all modern films of merit (laughs) are rooted in surf Nazis must die. Maybe he meant because it's a hodgepodge of genres. It's kind of a comedy, kind of an action adventure, purported as a post-apocalyptic film, even though that's not the case at all. This film just strays too far away from any one genre to be enjoyable, 
It's messy. It's not funny. It lacks, you know, even B movie star power. Um, oh, absolutely. I didn't recognize and, 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 you know, looking at the cast, like nobody really did a whole lot else. Yeah. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, trying to find humor in Nazis uh, with characters yeah. named after the key players from the real thing. It, it was just a bit unnerving. Uh, so it pains me to say it, but uh, Surf Nazis Must Die is not worth staying up all night for. Like I had a, a glimmer of hope initially thinking, oh, you know, in, in our, our manner as we do, we could link this to Warriors, uh, assuming it came up first. And then when I saw that, no, it didn't, I went, oh, this is not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I that's it had to be uh, like you said, Warriors, Clockwork Orange, uh, Mad Max. Although it fails miserably in trying to be post-apocalyptic, um, so it just it just misses the mark of of, of hitting any of those uh, paying homages as these films often like to do. Yeah, it, it just doesn't get the job done um, to say, hey, I liked that movie, so I'll probably you know enjoy this one as well. No, you won't. You won't. But not even the it's so bad it's good style. Yeah, yeah it just doesn't re- achieve any of those goals. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to mercifully do it for this episode. Rob, our final episode of 2020. Mm. Man. The post apocalyptic 2020. Very yeah. fitting that we end with a post apocalyptic movie that sucked <laughs> because 2020 has been a doozy. Uh, we want to thank Kelly Luce again for the inspiration for this month's film. If you have a film that you'd like to see us review, let us know on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle is at Still a Podcast. We're in the thick of the holiday season here as the year comes to a close. So next episode will ring in the new year with what I say is a holiday movie. Rob says, not so fast, can't buy me love. We'll break it all down in the next episode. Rob, our first of 2021, and it's got to be better than 2020, right? It has to be. I mean, it, it, it's probably the most sort of well-known and mainstream movie we'll have covered at this point. So, Yeah, it's going to be fun, and I look forward to, uh, to doing battle with you to prove that it is a holiday movie. We'll see about that. I'm bringing my A game. I'll be ready. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, I say the only good thing that came out of 2020 is this podcast, so we'll keep it rolling next year. Until then, happy holidays, everyone. Stay away from from the beach unless Mama Washington is with you, and we'll see you in 2021. Taste some of Mama's home cooking, Adolf.